Welcome to Alfalfa, a free-flowing, irreverent, digestible, somewhat degenerate crypto podcast for all, powered by Collective Shift. Entrepreneurs and investors Armand Asadi, Nick Urbani, Steven Cesaro, and Eric Johansson dive deep into crypto, blockchain, DeFi, NFTs, the metaverse, and Web3, all while layering in the latest in tech, money, and politics, feeding you the alpha you need to grow. Make sure to check out CollectiveShift.io for crypto insights and alerts and use code ALFALFA for 50% off your first month. A friendly but serious reminder, this is not financial advice and is for entertainment only. Do your own research. Also, please subscribe to the show and tell your DGen friends all about us. Now let us begin. Welcome to Alfalfa, ladies and gentlemen. So um, we've got a different episode. We're taking this a different direction today. We've been listening. We've been doing our best to listen, and we're hitting the soft reset button. And um, I mean, all of us here, you guys all listen to Tim Ferriss, right? And I was thinking about this the other day. When Tim Ferriss started the Tim Ferriss Show, I think it took him like 50 episodes to actually even admit that he was going to commit to this podcast. His whole take in the beginning was just like, I'm just doing an experiment. Let's see how this goes. Let's see what you guys think. I don't even know if I'm going to stick to this. Is this hard fucking work? I don't even know if I want to do it. And ultimately, I think that for us, this has always been something that we were doing anyway, right? We were doing this for fun. And we said, why don't we start recording this? But I think the thing that we realized is that we need more intention. We need to actually focus on giving you the alfalfa in every single episode and have a little bit more of a a structure, if you will, with that focus to actually help you make money and extract the value in a more clear way. That doesn't mean that we don't want to have as much fun as we were having, but I think we want to just overall focus on you more as if you're the fifth person sitting in this room, having a conversation with us. So we want to actually be aware of the fact that you're sitting right fucking next to us (laughs) and really speak to you and speak in a more linear chronological way where we unpack these ideas one at a time and make them actionable and give you a reason to really care in the first place. So we're really excited. We've literally been talking for days about this in terms of how we want to take it. And again, it's still just an experiment. Please let us know what you think. We're always evolving this whole thing. Make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you're listening. As always, that means a lot to us. And um, let's dig into the agenda. Um, so with everything going on in the market right now, it's an absolute clusterfuck. I think everybody knows that. We're recording this on Tuesday, January 25th. Um, it's a shit show, right guys? It's like, nobody knows. (laughs) (laughs) Back at McDonald's. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, what was that McDonald's meme? McDonald's basically like, uh, put out a, a meme on Twitter that said, if you run a, it was something like, if you run a crypto, uh, Twitter, uh, we're hiring, like, let us know if you need a job. (laughs) President of El Salvador literally photoshopped himself in a McDonald's uniform. So that was that was kind no of like way. the meme moment of the week there. That was a good one. All taking El, it in El good Salvador stride. Salvador is on fire. Um, <laughs> I've I've been to El Salvador. I'm actually very impressed, and so is Nick, with like how far they've come. Uh, this is actually really impressive with what they're doing. So, look, um, this is actually an opportunity for us to connect on this. Right? We haven't talked. It's been a week, and we all have a lot on our minds about all of this. And I think that. When the market is on fire like this, it's an opportunity to go back to basics 
and uh, everyone's in fear, especially the existing investors like us. We're all poor all of a sudden. <laughs> our, our portfolios are down, you know, Stephen, you were saying 35%, uh, even just in the last few days, in the last week. At the same time, more people are entering the market than ever before. Uh, I posted this that I've gotten more texts than I've ever gotten in my life about crypto. And everyone wants to know what to do. So we thought this would be a good time to go back to basics. Should you be buying? Should we be buying? And uh, we're going to dig into all that. We're also going to end with uh, this alfalfa drop. So it's like extra alfalfa at the end of the show. So make sure you stay on all the way through. So look, this all starts with Bitcoin. And really the question is, should you buy the dip? But one of the things that the naysayers have been saying, and I'm going to come to you on this, Eric, is like you obviously with your traditional finance perspective and education, like you think about this stuff a lot. Everyone's been saying that Bitcoin is the inflation hedge, that cryptocurrency is the inflation hedge. Is it though? Like it's tanking. We're all bleeding. And Bitcoin was supposed to fix this. So what is happening here? Let's like start to unpack this. Yeah. So uh, to answer your your second question first, the inflation part, I think, um, you know, I, I haven't been an, a crypto investor as long as you guys. I, I'm, I'm from the tr traditional finance world. I was a, a naysayer of, of crypto for, for years. Uh, I was living in San Francisco and, and heard about this shit and was just so anti for a long time um, and finally came around. And, and I what I noticed is that it's not just me. It's like it's a lot of these traditional finance guys who are starting to come on board. Institutions are coming on board, and um, it's a double-edged sword. Like what you see is when when institutions bring big money, uh, you know the number can go up, and and that happened. But I think what you also see is that these institutions don't really trust crypto yet. They look at crypto as kind of like a a risky trade. So when, when people th say that it's an inflation hedge, I think that's actually true because like Bitcoin inflation is programmed in. It's, it's much less than what we're seeing out of the U.S. dollar inflation today. So I think that's true. But in the, in the short term, what you're seeing is uh, institutional money treating it like a risky asset. And when, when risky assets become out of favor, crypto assets get thrown in with that as well. So like correlation between Bitcoin and and the stock market indices have, have been very close to one. Um, you know, as stock market has gone down, Bitcoin and, and other crypto has also gone down. So I think that's what we're seeing today. Um, but back to your first question, am I buying the dip? I, I am. And that, like Bitcoin and Ethereum in particular are two of my highest conviction assets in my entire portfolio. And I think, you know, we'll get into why that is going forward. So you're buying the dip. And do you think, what kind of investors do you think should be buying this dip? Because you're probably getting hit up as well. I mean, obviously you deal with clients on a daily basis. You deal with friends on a daily basis who are asking you this question. Um, so we're already in, you're buying, you're an existing investor. You feel this is a dip that you should be buying, but should the new entrance into the market be buying as well? Like, is this the... Is this the best they're going to be able to do? Is this the low of the low for now? Well, you know, I don't think it's a good question. I don't think anyone's going to be able to predict the, the exact bottom. Um, you know, like maybe Stephen can point to the charts that suggest that, you know, the bottom is, is not, we're not quite there yet or, or what have you. But what I see 
from a zoomed out perspective, like if, if there are investors who don't own any crypto now, like what a better time than to get in right now because I think like when when Bitcoin is at sixty nine thousand and ETH is at forty eight eight hundred, you're you're thinking like ah oh, damn it if I just like would have gotten in, at you know ages ago I'd be okay and and I personally think like when I'm when I'm in there I'm like ah oh, we'll never we'll never see like thirty k again, uh, and here we are here we are it's like what a beautiful moment for like for newbies to to really jump in and and get in at better prices than. Then we've been getting in like dollar cost averaging our way up the whole time. This is a, it's an awesome opportunity. I couldn't agree more. I mean, so one of the things that I've been telling people is that, um, you know, I've been dollar cost averaging my way in for, for years. And then when I see dips like this, I, I obviously like go shopping. I mean, it's like 50% off all time highs. So the real question I think that most people are asking is like, well, what to buy and where to buy it and how to buy it. And actually, are we at the bottom? You just addressed that. But like, let's kind of talk about where this is going to like over the next 12 to 24 months. I'm sure we all have like a different opinion of that because I fundamentally believe that like whether you're buying at 35K Bitcoin or 20K at the end of the day, like I think most of us believe we're going to exceed all-time highs by the end of this year again, right? Like, do you guys, I don't know. Well, Nick, what I mean, do you think about this? Yeah, I think you, you bring up a good point of time horizon. And if you've ever had like a traditional finance financial advisor uh, discussion, one of the first things they talk about is, well, what's your time horizon? Is, it ten, is this a retirement thing of 30 or 40 years? Are you going to need the cash short term? So to me, that's the first question to always ask, like when the question is, what should I buy and, and what are the price predictions and should I buy now is what's your time horizon? So for us, or at least for me in this investment, I'm hoping this is a multi-decade time horizon uh, because we see a generational opportunity in technology and in this market specifically. So you have to ask yourself, if you're a listener, what is my time horizon? If you are talking three months, six months, that this is cash you're going to need for a down payment on a house, your answer is going to be very different than, hey, I, I might see a hundred to a thousand X opportunity over 30 years and I want to take advantage of that. And so that is the framework in which you should be approaching this. And that changes all the answers in terms of what should I buy? How much should I buy? So I think, you know, without giving an answer, I think that's the, the framework that I would be approaching this um, versus answer that question. And you might have two buckets of money, one that's long-term focused and that you'll, you'll hopefully never touch. And you might have something that's, that's shorter term and your, your risk, uh, may differentiate on that. Just a real quick, funny story. Like <clears throat> my, my dad, when we were growing up, he used to take me to the horse track and we would handicap horses and, uh, you know, nice. people would, would come up, yeah, would come up to us and, uh, you know, we'd, we'd be reading the, the handicap, you know, stats and the horses and figuring out, you know, just playing a little numbers and figuring out which horse we think will win. And, and strangers would come up to him and say, Hey, you know, what, what horse should I bet on? And he'd start with, well, how much money do you want to make? And they'd be like, well, I want to make the most. He said, well, then you got to bet on the riskiest horse and you're probably going to lose most of the time. And so you have to think about, if you're short term and want to make a lot of money, you're going to be on the riskier end of this asset class, which, you know, we like to call shit coins sometimes. And if, if your goal is to like, well, I want like I want to make I want to try to, you know, have a lower risk and I want to try to make uh, be certain I'll make some money. And then you're going to be on the lower risk of this asset class, which, you know, are the high conviction assets. We think at least that Eric mentioned Bitcoin and Ethereum. 
granted, it's in this little encapsulation of one of the riskiest asset classes in, in all asset classes. So good to take that into account. But um, yeah, anyway, I always think of that quote. My, my dad uh, would, would give people, well, how much money do you want to make? Basically, how much risk do you want to take? Born, born gambler. He's a born DJ. <laughs> yeah. So I think, uh, yeah, that timeline and risk is like the two most important things. And, and basic financial planning doesn't escape, uh, you know, the cryptid asset class. Well, dude, look, like when, when I started, and I think you guys probably all started the same way, it's like we all came in with what we were willing to lose. Like that's the entry point that is like the most accessible for most people because it just makes it like really easy for you to make a decision. Like I'm willing to lose $100 fine you know and you start there you start with fifty dollars you start with a hundred dollars and like that's where most people start when they've never ever invested in cryptocurrency and then when you get in i mean nick you said this in a previous episode where you were like put in 10 percent of what you want to invest now today so let's just say okay crypto is at 33k today like if you have a thousand dollars, put in a hundred today, and as soon as you put in that hundred, you'll start paying attention. I mean, you brilliantly said that, and we turned it into a clip, and it was perfect because it was like that's exactly right. Once you're in, you start to play the game, and you pay attention, and you learn it, and then you start asking questions like what I'm asking now, years later, which is like, uh, do I even need stocks anymore? which I would love to unpack with you guys. <laughs> I think that brings up the, the concept that we talk about a lot and we should probably define a little bit, which is dollar cost averaging. So when we say we're yeah, DCAing in and DCAing out, it essentially means that we're taking chunks of our portfolio and putting uh, smaller portions of it over a period of time. Because let's be frank, we don't know whether number is going to go up or number is going to go down and you can't time the market historically. And so you have to say, okay, I, I feel bullish about this. I feel good about it, but I don't know if this is the bottom. It may go down more. It may go up. And as a principle, we do not buy into pumps and we do not sell when things are crashing. That is like- Even though you really want to. <laughs> and, and that is a formula for losing money. Like you don't yes. have to like really believe in anything else to know that that is a losing formula. So- you know, if we think it's bullish and we don't know where the market's going, you take a portion of your money and you DCA in, you dollar cost average in. And right now, Bitcoin's at 36K. So maybe you take 10%, 20% of the stack you uh, intend to invest. Buy now. If it goes down, you buy it again. Nick, how do you define the time period of how to DCA in? Like, this is another question people have is like, okay, do I take my $1,000 and do I divide it by 12 months? or 12 years or three months, like what, you know, how quickly do I get in? Cause like, like right now, even I'm constantly fine tuning my DCA strategy. Right. Cause I'm like, well, this, this, this dip could only last like two weeks or, or, or it could last six months. So it's really hard to determine that, but that removes the variability of all this. Right. So I guess, is there a framework for that? I mean, I think it obviously depends on people's income, like if they have consistent income yeah. where they can take a percentage of that and put it in. I think that's like a simple strategy. You could take X percentage of your paycheck of your earnings and, and start DCAing in to certain investments, stocks, crypto, whatever. If you have a lump sum of money that you're trying to deploy because you have a strong conviction, then you might be trying to deploy it a lot sooner. Best case is you know, during 2020, uh, you know, I, I met early on with, uh, I think it might have been 2019. Um, yeah, definitely was 2019 because we lost a year in the pandemic and it just escaped my mind. Um, but, you know, uh, we started, uh, you know, talking about Bitcoin again. And, and I remember Stephen and I had 
you know, uh, coffee just to talk a little politics and foreign affairs for fun. And he said, listen, like, I urge you to at least have 1% of your investable net worth in this. And that started to get the, the motions going. And we started talking about it more. And over the course of like early to mid to 2020, I started to build conviction in this thing. And by like October, like September, October, I was like, okay, I need a chunk, like, you know, a considerable chunk of my net worth in this thing. So once I decided I was basically buying every week, every day, um, you know, to, to try to accomplish a specific uh, asset allocation. So in that case, it was a strong, strong conviction. And I wanted to put the money to work, um, you know, quickly um, versus, uh, you know, maybe something that you're going to take a percentage of your income uh, over time. So I think those are two different strategies, yeah. all super, you know, valid. So I'm coming to you, Lord, um, aka Stephen, the DeFi Lord, but I want to summarize this really quick so far. So like, look, uh, I'll use an example. I had, you guys know this guy. Some of you know this guy, Arvin. I'm going to call him out just because he's a jackass and he deserves this. But I love Arvin. He literally, so I love, love Arvin. I love him so I love you, much. Arvin. He's a legend. Dude, so he's been reaching. I hope he fucking hears this. He reaches out and he's like, all right, you little shithead. Like, stop <laughs> posting about NFTs and tell me what to do. And I'm like, so he, you like, he gave posting? you a noogie? Like, he gave you a noogie yeah. online somehow? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm like, so you want me to stop posting or no, he's like, I like it, but fuck you. Like you're making, you're making it and I'm not with the NFTs and I want to know how to do it too. And so we started going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth where we eventually landed. This guy has personal goals with what to do with his money. Like say, for example, to actually buy property and he needs the money. Like he wants to invest the money into assets that will grow today. Like he, he needs the cash today. So he's thinking very short term. He's looking at NFTs. He's looking at this dip right now. He's saying, Ooh, I want to make money. I would, I would signal the fucking danger alert on that one. And, and he quickly realized that as well, where he was like, this is not for me. This is not the right time for me because I'm my time horizon is too short. So like just a word of caution to people that are looking at this as like a three month, one month thing, you're going to lose that way. You're going to, you're going to get hurt that way because you end up making irrational, emotional decisions. I know I have. So don't do that. But if you're going to be thinking somewhat long-term here, at least a couple years, I don't think you can lose at 35K Bitcoin. So my Lord, like, where's this going? How do you see Bitcoin playing out? Because it looks like a good opportunity here and we're all trying to figure out what to do. Yeah. I mean, straight up, just anybody who's listening to this podcast and is just like asking the question, do I buy the dip? The answer for you is is yes. Just to, to just generalize, because if you are asking, do I buy the dip? You're, you're definitely not a trader. So the only way you can have an edge in this game is to have like a long time horizon to buy things over multiple years. And, and, and yes, at times like these, you, you, you should be buying the dip. But I, I think a lot of people ask the question, do I buy the dip? Because they're, they're like totally lost as opposed to like, what is, what is a high Bitcoin price? What is a low Bitcoin price? They have no concept of what that even means, right? So they just look at the price of Bitcoin and they look at how much is down and they're just like, is this a good price? Is this not a good price? So. What I would recommend to everybody who wants to get into the space and like take it more seriously is to start building out their own sort of like thought model, like on, on how Bitcoin moves over like long time horizons. And 
I think the easiest way to do this is to go to lookintobitcoin.com and to pull up either the Bitcoin rainbow chart or the Bitcoin logarithmic regressions band chart. And when you pull these two charts up, what you will see is that when you zoom way out on Bitcoin, it's this sort of logarithmic growth curve, the pattern that like basically all networks follow when they grow with this very steep initial trajectory and leveling out, right? So you'll you'll go, oh, Nick, aha, you, like, you, I, I kind of get how it moves. Can you share? Right? Can you share your screen? Can you pull up the can you pull up the rainbow chart? Because it's, the rainbow it's chart. kind of showing us in it's like showing us that Bitcoin's getting down into like uh, way oversold territory today. If we could if we could just Ooh. like share it on screen, that'd be that'd be cool. Yeah. So 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 step number one is like people having the epiphany that oh Bitcoin over the long term looks like a network growth chart, which looks different from how stocks grow, right? Generally speaking, it's a different, it's a different pattern, right? So that's like step one. Step two is to then give yourself like some sort of concept of the volatility of Bitcoin. Like what is possible? What is the upper end of the range? And what is the bottom end of the range? Like the very best case and the very worst case scenario. And when you do that and you look at a chart like the rainbow chart, right? What you will see is that the price right now over a long time horizon for investors is in a very, very attractive area to buy. What you will also see, however, is that there's still like a very scary amount of room to the bottom of the chart, right? Now there's a very euphoric amount of room to the, to the upward part of the chart and like the hundreds of thousands, <laughs> but what is the bottom of the chart at right now? Can you, can you? Yeah, I'm hovering it. over it right now. Like the theoretical bottom is like 17,000. 17,000. Yeah. And I think that's like kind 50%. of reasonable. For, I think 17,000 is a reasonable benchmark to have for a non black swan bottom, right? We're just talking about a kind of non case bottom, swan. right? If things go like really badly, but not in like a total, like, like World Jesus. War III doesn't happen, right? And, I, and and Stephen, quickly, like, what is a black swan event just by definition? Well, black swan would be like Russia launches a nuke into Ukraine, right? Something like that was kind of priced in, but not really, Unexpected right? Like way beyond what anybody thought would happen yeah. comes out of nowhere. And it just shocks the market and throws it into chaos. Like another example of this was the COVID crash. Like if you look on the rainbow chart, you can see the COVID crash. It is, it's just really nasty. Like that thing just came out of nowhere and just, just the, pr the price nuked and nobody saw it coming. It was a black swan event, right? But any investor can kind of pull up this chart and be like, okay, at least I have an idea of where I am, generally speaking, right? And so if you have this chart, and I'm not saying that this chart is like the Bible and you just, you just trade this chart and it's always going to work, but it's a, it's, it's a better frame of reference to have than what most people currently have, which is, which is nothing. They just, they just look at a number in their portfolio and that's not particularly useful. So in this chart, you can kind of see if you kind of like subscribe to this logarithmic growth trajectory, you can see like where we might be going in the future, what the worst case scenario is that you should kind of mentally plan for, um, and just like kind of relative basis on a very long time horizon, how uh, how oversold we are. Um, and yeah, yeah I, I think this is a this is a. I mean, one of the problems, Stephen, is like when you. This is brilliant, and I I love that we're sharing this. Like one of the problems is when you get past twenty twenty two to basically like twenty twenty four and twenty twenty five, which the having is in twenty twenty four, it's just kind of all the same. Like you can't tell if you're at a hundred thousand or three hundred thousand. Like 
it, it, you know, we're obviously in, in upper, well, upper well, this, this is a logar- so this log- is a logarithmic chart, right? So it's, it's orders of magnitude with every line. So it, it, small, mm-hmm. small changes can result in prices that are three, four X then. Right. And that, but that, but it's good to keep that in mind because you need to become right. aware of how much volatility is in the space. And like, how even if this thing is going directionally way up, especially over like a one year time horizon, the price can go anywhere. Like you guys earlier were saying like, oh, we all think we're going to make all new all time highs this year. I don't think that that's like much more than a coin flip, to be honest. I think it's very possible that we trade to very, very devastatingly low levels, like all the way through the summer. Right. And if that's the mm-hmm. case, if we're 17 K at the end of the summer, like I don't think it's a given that we're just going to go up 400% to make all time, all, you know, all time new highs at the end of the year. I also don't think that the market is over. I don't think that we're going like full bear for like four years and we're losing 90%. I don't, I don't believe that at all. But I think that the, this current market cycle is just drawing out way longer than people had initially priced in and still possibly like do price in, right? Like we might not see, like a like a Bitcoin peak until twenty twenty end of twenty twenty three like twenty twenty four, um, we may never see like a peak and trough again. It may just continuously do this kind of volatile thing right. up and down, but never kind of be like totally dead for a long time and never blow off. It's it's very unpredictable, which is why for almost everybody out there who's listening to this, the play is to just buy a little bit all the time as much as you are comfortable doing, right? And if you see like these kind of nukes, like lately where price is down 60%, where you pull up your rainbow chart and it's telling you it's like in the, oh my God, you know, buy zone. If you feel comfortable and you're, you're cool with like the downside from there, because it could still happen and you have a long time horizon, then, then yeah. in those, in those periods, like unload and buy a little more than you would if you're. So just to, just to be really clear, what zone are we in right now? Specifically, Nick, you have that. uh, It looks like we are in a crossing from the still cheap to the accumulate band. Accumulator. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Like I, I personally am not, I personally am not buying this dip. Right. And the reason I'm not buying this dip Mm. is because my personal allocation is way higher than I already want it to be. Right. I probably have like half my net worth in like crypto. Right. Yeah. So I am very willing to put the chips down and place a high conviction bet. But for me, that price point is going to be like way like, like, like big traders, like kind of like big kind of macro guys. I like to look at like the 200 week moving average as this kind of worst case scenario. And in the past, it has been a very good worst case scenario for Bitcoin, right? There's never any guarantee that that will continue. And it does get scary when everybody in the market assumes that that's going to be the bottom, right? But if you look at where the 200 week is right now, like I I think you could, I I think it's probably around 17K. And I think if you project out like a three to four month bear market or something or six month bear market, it'll probably get to around like 22k by the time that happens so that's sort of my frame of like my mindset on like where i'm going to be comfortable taking on additional risk beyond like what i'm already comfortable with um but dynamics could change that too like um if we get something like that's like a covid crash right where you have this gigantic like capitulation candle and like four billion dollars in liquidations and price very rapidly recovers and kind of like there's huge volume and it goes to do like back up again. Um, 
that might be a sign where you, you kind of throw away the, the, the long-term risk model a little bit and you, you look at what's happening and you go, okay, everybody just got wiped the fuck out. Who's even left to sell at this point? People are buying. Wow. It looks like big people came in. I'm going to kind of do it, right? But when you get these kind of slow, protracted bleeds, like for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, those can kind of those can kind of go on for forever and can be very scary when like kind of no bid comes in. But but again, like a long term investor should not be concerned with that. And that that is like not concerned with this. Here. Now I have a I have a very specific question for all you guys. Okay, you are thirty. You okay? This you're talking to your long lost cousin. They are thirty five years old. They have no debt or minimal. They uh, make a decent income, and they currently have $100,000 in net worth portfolio assets between their 401k, their stocks, maybe some baseball cards, whatever the fuck. What percentage of this person's net worth, not all at once, but in general, should they work toward having in crypto assets, meaning... Bitcoin, Ethereum, shit coins, stable coins, and NFTs. Let me uh, put on my financial advisor hat for a second. Um, and th this is not particular financial advice to anyone, but um, none of this like, is ever financial advice. None of it is. None of it is. <laughs> but like that, like the cousin you're talking to, this hypothetical cousin, it like it totally depends on his individual preferences. It goes back to Nick and his dad at the racetrack saying like, how much money do you want to make? Because like there is a 35 year old that doesn't want to lose money. Like even on paper, I think like, I know, but Bitcoin, we have to hit the mean somewhere. We got to, we got to find the median answer here. Uh, I'm, I've found my, like, I won't answer for my hypothetical cousin. I'll answer for myself. Like okay. I've found myself allocating more and more to crypto over time. And that's like what we've talked about on previous episodes where you like, like Bitcoin and ETH are lower risk, even on the crypto scale. But then like you can go, you can go even way lower risk on the crypto scale in talking about stable coins and stable coins will get you a higher yield than you would get in traditional finance on like a similar risk asset. So yeah, like, I'm sorry, I'm, we should remove stable coins from the crypto pile. We really should. <laughs> I mean, there, should right? we? Should we? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's, that's cheating. He's like saying, like, this is a question a lot of people ask. They're like, how much should I put in? How much should I put in? And, and you're right that the answer is, there's not a right answer, right? Because the answer is conditional upon how much risk you want to take on, right? But the average person who is like 30, 35, and is making good income, right? And wants to take on like kind of like a hearty amount of risk to try to make it and they're not really concerned if they're going to lose like most of that, like 100K because, well, they make 100K a year and they'll be fine. Right. And they're willing to take that on to, 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 to make $10 million. Like, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with putting like 20, 30% of your investment portfolio in, in like okay. Bitcoin. That's a, right? that's a, you know, that's a better answer. That's a number. That's a good answer. Can I do a better answer? Yes. And I think, I think a better answer, a better answer is not necessarily a percentage per se, but it's like, it would, it would be us asking ourselves, how high is Bitcoin going? Right? Like how high is yeah. like, it could, it could drop down to 17 K. Right. That's like what we just said is like the bottom of that blue area band in the rainbow chart. Uh, but how high could it go? 
And then like you do your own math on a personal level. Like if Bitcoin can go from, you know, 33K today up to 100K or whatever number we think it is, uh, you know, then it allows the listener to, to kind of like answer that for themselves. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I'm in the 1 million plus Bitcoin territory by 2030 for sure. No question. Yeah. But could be could be totally wrong. I mean, and I don't mind because worst case scenario for me, it's like, right, it's like 400,000. Who take your mask off, Kathy Wood. Take that mask off. Let me see. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're under there. <laughs> oh, man. So, I mean, because uh, I want to get a little bit into that to the how I think we're getting clear that like I, I'll answer that as well. And, and Nick, if you have an answer. Look, for me, it's like I can only also answer for myself. The more time that goes on, the more Bitcoin and crypto I own. The more I play with NFTs, and I say play because it literally feels like I'm playing like a freaking 15-year-old. And it is true that we're literally sitting around playing with cartoon JPEGs. Like we literally are. And some of them are actually brilliant in by design. And some of them have developed their own little mini universes of games. And at the end of the day we're playing around and we have no idea. And the best you can do is like, I mean, you know, we talked about this in a previous episode, like you have to have some inside baseball, insider information to really succeed in that world. So at the end of the day, the more time I spend in the space, the higher my conviction, the more I say, we're all going to make it. And if I lose in this space, so be it. Like I can afford to lose, but I'm past the point of like personally being like, I'm only putting in what I'm willing to lose. Like it's, it's way past that. Like, I don't want, I don't want to lose. Yeah. It, my conviction yeah, the is conviction high. is high on particularly uh, strong assets like Bitcoin. We've been talking about, I think like ETH is, is another one of these assets that we're, we're, we're pretty certain is not going to zero. Like, you yeah. know, these things could hypothetically, hypothetically go to zero, but like, I don't think Bitcoin and ETH are going to zero. Other crypt, other assets can, other crypto and digital assets can, but not those two. Right. So for me, uh, I'm uh, getting pretty close to like 35%. So what about well, you? Well, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you what Stephen told me when we first started talking. He was like, listen, just put in 1%, even if you don't believe it, in the fact that like if this thing 100Xs, you doubled your portfolio amount. And if it goes to zero, you only lost 1%. And that's how it started. And then like like you guys have mentioned, as you have it part of your portfolio, and why I mentioned in previous podcasts, just by 10%, when you have something in your portfolio, you have ownership over it, you tend to learn faster. And the, the, I think the more people will learn, the more confident they'll get, the more conviction they will build, and the more comfortable they'll, they'll, they'll be about having it a larger percent of their portfolio. Now, that being said, there's a lot of people who entered in uh, 2021 and are now experiencing their first you know, 60% drop. And now their conviction is probably wiped away. So along with that, you just have to realize that this is one of the most volatile asset classes. Um, it can be at times. And so um, as long as you got that going in, I think that's important. And I'll say just one other thing on the on this topic in terms of, you know, how much should you put in and, and, and how, how to view this asset class? You know, typically big technolo- technological changes in the past have been reserved towards venture capital funds. Um, where the it's a highly illiquid asset investing in a private company that is building a technology and the time horizon is seven to 10 years. 
It just so happens that this technology allows everyone to have ownership over it. There's a little bit of decentralization that allows people to have ownership over it. And we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, and so part of that means that anyone can buy it. We all have access to it now, which is great. But there is a 24-7 marketplace in which you can buy and sell. And so that can be a downside for um, any investor, really, that they can trade it uh, on a daily basis and a weekly basis. And it may help to approach this like a long-term private equity deal, mm-hmm. a venture you're capital asset, because you really are investing in a, a, a long-term technological shift. And it might be the approach, best approach for you mentally to take. And it may help you say, okay, well, what part of my portfolio am I willing to hold? If I was going to invest in a big technological shift within a private company um, without touching it. And, you know, you might find a, a good, a feel good number that way too. But wow. I think it's important. Wow. Now. That's, Dude, that's good fucking shit. So just to, just to put this in a different lens as well, like basically what you're saying is like what most retail normal investors have had to deal with, like in general, unless they're an accredited investor, is they're not getting access to good deal flow. And the best that they can do is, um, actually they can't even angel invest. They can go to something like WeFunder or Republic. And now there's a law that allows them to do crowdfunding investment. But ultimately you're getting equity in a company. Like you would come to my company. If we wanted to raise some money, you'd put down a thousand dollars and it's gone. And it's locked up until we have an exit event of some kind, a liquidation event of some kind, or in the very rare case that we make distributions which some stock companies do. And the difference here is, and we are going to go into this because it's a really exciting thing that makes crypto different in general, is that everyone around the world, no matter where the fuck they are, has access to this. The borders are dropped and we're all in and we all can trade with one another because it's permissionless. It's a beautiful decentralized network and it drop. It, it ultimately like removes these uh, regula- regulatory barriers, right? Which is a beautiful thing about it. So with that comes a lot of like uh, power. (laughs) And what I'm hearing you say is like, don't over like do it and put too much (laughs) into your like emotional or rational behaviors and tell yourself like, yeah, I'm going to lock this up for like five years and and do what I would have done anyway if it was just a normal equity investment that I was giving my cousin. If I was giving my cousin 25K for his new startup, I wouldn't get it for five years anyway. So maybe approach Bitcoin the same way. Yeah, potentially. Like the, the pro is that we all have access to this now, which is which is great, you know, um, but the, the con is that, OK, now you have to learn a set of skills that, um, you know, we necessarily didn't train professionally for which is investing on a long, right. long time horizon. And so, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good, but it's also like a, a skill and something that you'll have to learn. Um, and the only way to learn is like, uh, I think, taking your lumps over time, for sure. We've all done it. But um, yeah, pro and con, I think. I think a great way to close this thread is just, Nick, if you could address like the basic best way to actually how, like, how do I buy? I want to buy today. I don't own any yet. Let's, let's just hit that. Like exactly yeah, like, execute yeah, trade. like what tell me what to do. Like where do I go? Do I go to Coinbase? Do I open a MetaMask? What is a MetaMask? Like, do I go to Robinhood? Do I Square Cash and PayPal have it? And everyone's telling me I can buy Bitcoin. Where do I go? Yeah, so you do have options. Um, I think the simplest option is you download the Coinbase app, you create an account just like you would a bank account and you purchase it there. And you can set up one-time purchases. You can set up recurring purchases. If you're on this 
I'm going to DCA in every week, every month. Um, and you purchase it there. You can also purchase other assets like Ether and um, some other, you know, protocols and, and tokens that, that you may have heard of and start there. And I think that's the easiest, best way to, to do it, to get started. And uh, yeah, you'll open that thing up, check, check your numbers and they'll go up and down. Then you'll start wondering why to go up and why to go down. And maybe that'll lead you down a path of, of learning more about it and then kind of building your own framework about how to think about it. Yeah. And Eric, can you just address like what your rabbit hole with this has looked like from going like calling it rap poison to <laughs> like your hero calls it, I would, which he's yeah. my hero too. Like, honestly, he's an incredible human being, Warren Buffett. I just think he's wrong yeah. about this. He's just fixated on what works for him. But like you literally went from buying on Coinbase to now doing what you do today. Um, what does that rabbit hole look like for you? Like it's powerful, isn't it? Like once you, it's a slippery ass slope. Man, uh, to toot our own horn, actually, like it was you guys. It was like meeting up in in on Wednesdays in 2019 with you guys and and uh, talking through this stuff because you know I was so tied to this previous dogma um, of like, well, what are, what do the cash flows suggest that the valuation of this asset actually is like the intrinsic valuation? And um, what I'm learning or what I've learned is that there are many ways to value an asset outside of just um, what traditional finance has used. Uh, Steven mentioned some earlier, which was like, you sort of like how to value a network that's growing exponentially, et cetera. Um, so, you know, I think my, my rabbit hole um, might not look the same as everybody's because like I come from a, a traditional valuation background and maybe like most of our listeners like aren't doing deep valuation dives on everything they invest in. Um, but wh where I'm at now is I think, um, the, like Bitcoin and, and ETH in particular are, are higher upside than, than a lot of these like large cap tech stocks. And, and just to put it in comparison, like the realm that I came from or am still in, like these large cap tech stocks are also down 50%. So right. it's not like you're, you're safe uh, there either. Like you, you get the volatility. No, you can't escape this volatility. Yeah. Yeah. You get volatility on both. So why not take the one with higher upside? So that, that's where I'm at. That's that for me, like that, that right there is a very important statement. And that's one that I've been thinking about. I don't know if we'll have time to get into it, but like, that's one that I've really been thinking about is this, all this shit, tech stocks, growth stocks, crypto, it's all very volatile you might as well take the one with the higher upside. And that's left me with this question that maybe we'll get into today, maybe in a different episode of like, I don't understand the reason that I should still be holding some of these companies. So, you know, we kind of just hit like a lot of the, the what's going on in the market, what to do today. Honestly, this was really, really good shit. And we, we wanted to get into the nuts and bolts. Now I think it's like, let's take a step back and just talk about why this matters. So, Nick, Talapino. Uh, for those that don't know, Talapino is a play on Italian and Filipino. Now you know. I won't have to do that from now on. But Mr. Talapino, like, this is a revolutionary technology, we could call it, because we have the blockchain aspect. We have the peer-to-peer -peer currency aspect. There's a lot going on, and it has birthed, like, this entire multi-trillion dollar industry. Why does this matter in today's day and age? 
social, politically, like in general, economically? What what does this all mean? Like, yeah, why yeah. I think it's good to kind of revisit this, you know, especially during when we see big big decreases in in price, because you kind of want to revisit why you were had conviction in, in the first place. And maybe I think a good place to start is like a a larger macro view, and then we can all kind of chime in on it. Um, I think it's good to to point out that we've all grown under uh, U.S. and U.S. dollar superiority. It's something that we've always lived in in our lives, at least this this generation. And the fact is, though, that empires rise and fall. And you might have a sense that maybe uh, the U.S. is is decelerating as an empire and maybe uh, China is accelerating an empire. But if you look over the history of, say, the last like 600, 700 years, there have been multiple empires that have risen and fallen along with that reserve currencies. And you can kind of look at, like Ray Dalio has like this really good framework. He just published a book about the changing you know, world order and how this has happened multiple times. And he describes this curve of rises and declines of, of empires. And it typically starts with like peace, prosperity, and some type of you know uh, good productive part of the, the economy. And for us, it might have been you know post World War II. You know, how we came out of it, the economy was strong. Uh, baby boomers, you know, had like a, a long stretch of economic growth. And then we get into this debt bubble and wealth gaps, which maybe we were in the last like 20, 30 years, and we may be approaching where the curve falls off and starts to decline, which is a debt bust and economic downturn. And then the next stage in Ray Dalio's framework is printing money and inflation. And beyond that, after you get inflation, you get an even larger wealth gap. And then he kind of goes into like, there may be some kind of eventual revolution or war. And so just an example to point out how empires can rise and fall. And along with that, the reserve currency you know, before the U.S. dollar, we had the United Kingdom uh, with the, the sterling pound. And even before that, like in the 1600s, we had Netherlands was like when they were embarking on, you know, colonization, they had their own currency. It was like the, the Gilder or something. I don't know what it was called. And before that, you know, we had the Chinese dynasties, which were the kind of main empires. So I think it's important to, to know that this has happened, even though we haven't uh, lived through it that the rise and fall of empires and the reserve currencies can actually uh, happen. And so now we face ourselves with where are we now? And you can obviously see inflation is part of the news headlines. Um, we have obviously have this um, large amount of addiction to debt where interest rates have been extremely low and money printing is just going on like crazy. Like it's a, it's a meme that you know, the Fed just keeps printing money. The U.S. government keeps printing on money. And now we're starting to feel the effects of it, which have been predicted for. You're not going to say you're that. not going to say the. <laughs> I was. And I was like, yeah, I just well, I don't cringe while I talk about it. I'll do it for you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but now we're feeling the, the effects of that inflation. Inflation uh, is a harm to, to everyone, but particularly middle and lower class. And so everyone is, is starting to, to feel this. And this is part of Ray Dalio's the start of the descent in, in an empire. And at the same time, we have we have China, which is growing economically on on a on a per capita basis, but as as a an, an aggregate. And it's projected that you know by 2030, their economy will be larger than ours. And I think people who are alive now are going to feel very weird when we have another empire that's starting to 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 grow. 
And um, there's going to be this gravity around the norms and values that, that China is going to, uh, you know, push in, in all different types of life from the economy to culture, etc. Now, you know, when you look back at all these like rises and, and fallings of empires, the uh, a currency rises and falls with it. Right. Like I mentioned, the Netherlands or Dutch Gilder, I don't know exactly what it is, the pound, the U.S. dollar. Mm-hmm. And you might say, well, if China's rising, what's next? And you could say, well, does that mean the yuan is going to be a reserve currency? But this is where Bitcoin becomes important because now we have this non-nation state alternative. That we've never had anything like this before to even be at play in this model that you're talking about. Right. Like the model is sort of being challenged in a way. Would right. You and, agree and with that? Yeah. And it's, and it's fascinating that it's, it's a technology. We're used to going from like nation state Right. you know, reserve currencies and, and, and dominations where we could have a, a technology platform based uh, uh, currency. And we're not saying that, you know, uh, Bitcoin could be a, a currency, but it is a form of of currency that is immutable in, in a ledger. There's no denying there. There's no denying like who owns what and what was traded uh, when. And this provides, you know, I think a, a good, you know, stretching point for where where else we see Bitcoin going. But this is something new that that hasn't, um, you know, uh, been presented when we have these, um, you know, concurrent decreases and and, and rises in in different uh, empires. Let's say. Fascinating and somewhat terrifying, to be honest. I felt like I was <laughs> listening to something I is an inevitable truth that I honestly don't want to face. Like the idea of not being number one, like America, like that's what we are. That's what we've always known. And to think that by 2030, like when my Bitcoins are worth millions of dollars, like <laughs> America USD is not going to be number one. Uh, I, I mean, it's a pretty, pretty terrifying thing. Steve and I, I feel you have a lot to say on this. And I also know that um, you worked for Ray Dalio so if you'd like to shed any light on on that as well, uh, alongside this model and how Bitcoin as the potential reserve currency of the world might play out and why it all matters. Yeah, I mean, I honestly don't worry too much about China. I think Nick and I always have like uh, you know, kind of opposite perspectives on China, which I appreciate. And is uh, and, and, and it's something I'm always trying to think through. Um I think China is like a little more of a paper tiger than a lot of people do. Like, I think if you look at the GDP per capita, which is what really matters, right? Because if China has the largest economy in the world, but there's 9 billion people and they make like a thousand dollars a year, it's like kind of like, who cares? Right. (laughs) So, I mean, China even today is like behind like some African nations. I think the GDP per capita is like $10,000. They have a huge demographics problem. It's not something I concern myself with personally. It's probably not something like the average person needs to worry about too much, you know, but uh, keep it in the back of your mind, I guess. As for like why Bitcoin means something or should mean something to you, I think a lot of people look at it as like a casino game where they can like place a bet and then like win a lot of money. But, but that's not what it is. It's, it's, it's a, it's, it's much more important than that. It's, it's, it's a life raft Mm. for people. I think people really need to drill it into their head that the powers that kind of govern us, right? Not just in the United States, but throughout the entire world, right? And this is an important thing for, for people to get. Like, we're going to probably be the, the last boat to sink, right? So congrats for living here. The dollar will probably be the last currency standing, I think, right? So that, that'll be great. But be that Good as point. it may, 
we're seeing this around us, right? Like a lot of us have been talking about this for years, but inflation is like a real thing. Like you can't just print money out of nowhere forever to keep like perpetually stimulating the economy and pushing up asset prices and think nothing will happen. Um, So I'm really scared by how many people I know have this sort of just like saving mindset with their money and they just like keep it in a checking account and don't do anything with it. Like your money is going to melt at like 10 to 20% a year. I don't buy the CPI numbers. The CPI numbers tend to be like constructed to measure things that like don't change. It's like, it's, it, it's kind of ridiculous. Um, and if, if people don't get that through their head and, and buy, so in other words, they're, they're, they're sort of publishing these numbers around what inflation is supposed to be, but it's a little misleading because they're only publishing metrics around certain things, but the ones that are bleeding the most are not being included. Yeah, in everybody in the government has an incentive to make inflation look as low as possible, right? And this is just basic right. kind of duh logic. Um, and although Bitcoin won't be an inflation hedge for you over the next six to maybe 24 months, like because right now everything in the world that you buy is just the same trade, right? People are trying to buy stocks as though like the earnings of the companies really matter. And it's kind of like they, they, they don't. Like everything is just one big liquidity trade. And this is, this is why markets can be confusing to people, right? They buy and they're like, why does it go up? Why does it go down? And it's mostly just like, is the Fed, is the Fed printing money or is the Fed tightening? And right now they're at least signaling that they're going to tighten, which means the money spigots getting turned off, which means like money is not going to just be flowing into all of these assets like it has been. And it could be like really, really, really painful for a lot of people who, who bought into the, to the top there. Um, you know, um, but Bitcoin is like the, 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 the trade of our lifetime is the trade around the dollar. It's the trade around like fiat, right? Even when you buy stocks, right. so you're buying a company, they're making their earnings in dollars, right? So everything in the stock market is inextricably tied to the dollar, right? And if you have a company mm. that is in the US, but they do a lot of business in like Africa or something, mm. well, that those earnings are also tied to those dollars, which are even worse than our dollars, right? So there's this sort of like false mm. sense of diversification you're getting if you're buying like a bunch of stocks, but they're all like US companies, they're all tied to the dollar. If the dollar goes to hell, those earnings are going to go to hell too, right? And we look at the stock market last year, what did it, it went up like 27%. But that number is almost like a fake number because inflation, by some people's estimates, was was in the 20s. So you've got this like fake, like kind of return that, that the, you know, it's like the people are trying to make us like look at these big stock returns and be like, oh, we're all getting richer. But we're, it's, it's actually a trap. We're all getting poorer. And if you're not investing your money um, properly, right. like in, in, in assets like... Like, like Bitcoin is a non-dollar trade. It's like one of the only trades in the world you can get that's kind of like not correlated to the dollar. Like the, the, the trade of our time moving forward is not going to be the stocks, diversify bonds. It's going to be buying real scarce goods that have value sort of outside of the dollar system, right? So things like real estate that like, like California coastal real estate, right? Not like real estate in the middle of some vast expanse where you can build as much as you want, but like, you know, California coastal real estate is like, it's like an NFT. It, it, it's mm-hmm. something that you can't like make more of. It's like finite good. And if they print dollars, the value of that just goes up. Right. The other thing about like real estate, that's really, really good for people is that you are basically playing the government's game, but in your favor, like they're keeping rates 
really, really, really low for you to borrow. And then you get to buy this good and basically just make this gigantic leveraged arbitrage trade because you're borrowing money at one or 2%. And if inflation's 10%, it basically means you're getting paid 8% a year to take on that debt while you buy an asset with like four or five X leverage, sometimes 10 X leverage, that's going to go up. Right. So that's going to be a really good strategy for people who want to like kind of stay ahead of the, the tidal wave and, and keep building wealth. And, and, and Bitcoin is good because it is scarcity, but in the digital realm, it's like the creation of a finite digital good, something that we never really had before in the history of humanity. All digital goods were mm-hmm. either like infinite or they relied on some central authority to kind of like enforce their scarcity, right? So they weren't really useful as like trustless stores of value because it had to rely on a, a third party corporation or something to, to, to give you sovereignty over your, your money, in which case like you, you don't have that, uh, sovereignty. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my mindset right now. My portfolio is like, Cash that's yielding very high amounts in in DeFi, mm-hmm. which is a great skill to learn if you don't have that. And it's basically just assets. It's finite assets. Like I don't own any stocks right now, and I don't know if I feel comfortable any. telling everybody to not buy stocks. But like I don't, oh. I don't own stocks because like I mean, look at look no at the, TSLA. Most of the Nasdaq just corrected like 60 percent in the last few months. That's yeah. what Bitcoin. That's what Bitcoin corrected. Except when things go back up, like the Nasdaq's not going to go up twenty x. Oh, might go man. up like I know, but 2X. my my problem, not to make this about me, right, is like I've never I never sell. Like I rarely sell anything. So the idea of getting out of something to go into something else is really really hard. Eric, like. Um, you you approach this in that in that manner like you've been very much like you and I have very similar let's just say investing theses like we approach this very similarly I think we both have this outcome I think we all have this outcome actually of like freedom like ultimately isn't that what this is all about for all of us it's accumulate wealth and create freedom and here we are we're sitting in this like realm right Eric where we thought that the path to wealth was to accumulate a big enough stock portfolio that we would just draw our 4%, you know, the 4% formula, 4% rule. We draw our 4%, live off that every single year. We have our little nest egg. We hit that mark and we're free. And then all of a sudden, you know, we're going down rat poison uh, rabbit hole and finding out that it's actually like extremely, uh, (laughs) it's, I mean, I mean, it's, it's revolutionary, right? Like we're talking about something that has never existed before that gives access to everyone around the world, uh, the ability to like create wealth for themselves. So now that you look at this, like just even like as a technology and as a scarce good, like what have you been thinking about this? How would you approach it in that manner? It's a good question. I think there's, I'm, I'm kind of in, in, uh, in uh, two minds, I would say like long-term and short-term because, um, you know, I, I think Stephen brings up a good point. Like all of our assets are dollar denominated. And when, when dollars are becoming less valuable, naturally uh, the asset value is going to go higher in dollar terms. But, but Bitcoin in 2021 did not. It didn't. And the S&P 500 went up 25%, 26%. This is not me saying that that's like the way forward, but it is me saying like this happened. This definitely happened. 
S&P went up 26%. Bitcoin was flat in 2021. And, um, you know, now both, well, actually, you know, Bitcoin's down 50%. From its highs and S&P's down, what, like 9% from its highs? Yeah, like uh, 9, 10%. Yeah. Yeah. So like, uh, back, I guess back to your question on like, why own stocks? Maybe, maybe that decoupling is why it owns stocks. Um, mm. And when I'm, uh, I think your, your main question was more on the, the technological shift. I, I completely agree that like over a long term time horizon, like this stuff will play out in Bitcoin's favor, but in, but in the near term, um, you know, it, it doesn't look so clear, you know, the way that we're describing it. Uh, and that's right. important, I, I, you know, I, and frankly, like the, the risks associated with each are completely different, you know, like even if, even well, if let like me, on that said, risks thing, I, I do have a specific thing that, that people keep bringing up to me. I'm sure they bring up to you guys. Like first, you know, the first thing they say is like, okay, do I buy the dip? It's like, fuck yeah, you buy the dip. Okay, great. You're in the game. Where do I buy it? Okay, we address that. Big uh, Coinbase, you know, get that ten percent in. Maybe go harder if you want. Okay, great. Now I'm in, but like, I still have doubts about this. And a lot of the things I hear are like, well, okay, there's 21 million of these things, but who's in control? Like, is this thing going to collapse? Is someone going to hack this? What if the government bans it? These are legitimate questions. Um, Nick, I know that like a big thing that, that we've talked about a lot is like not just decentralization, but like the government's role in all of this. How do you think that that's going to play out or does it even matter? Cause that's another take as well. Like, you know, there's a bullish case for it. We're not, not really mattering. Right. So, you know, we, we have this kind of censorship resistant, hard money, this like digitally scarce currency that hasn't. Uh, you know, come up in the past. And so if we think, you know, like, like Stephen was saying, we're inflating and every empire eventually inflates, we now have this option. Um, and so that's why it's important. Uh, but it also presents a threat to countries, right? So the, the US government might might see it as a threat. And, you know, how it turns out, um, I don't know if they will be able to, to ban it. I mean, I guess they could... Um, what if they do? Yeah. What if they do something similar to like China or India does it like every week? You know, I don't think they can ban Bitcoin because it is so decentralized and, and international and it is kind of borderless, but they can make it illegal to. To mine. Um, right. To now. Transact with. You can you can it can be illegal to transact with. Is, that's what they did. Right. Right. Eric, they said. In China? Yeah, they right. can't yeah. get rid of it. Right. You know, it, right. it, it will continue to exist whether the U.S. government, you know, decides to make it illegal to transact with or, or, or not. So it does have this censorship resistance. Can we play that out? Like, imagine that all the governments of the world come together and ban this thing and say, you can't transact with it. You can't mine it. Now, where do I convert into fiat at all? Like, how do I turn Bitcoins into dollars? I want to spend it. Otherwise, it's just gold sitting in a safe that I can't do anything with unless then the world comes. Let's play that out. Yeah. So let, let's yeah. say that, um, you know, China's banned uh, transaction. Let's say the U.S. does. I think in that case, the game theory is so strong for another country or a group of countries 
to actually embrace it. Go the other way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's so much of an opportunity for, let's say, India or any other South American country to actually embrace it. So we're all moving to Portugal. Yeah, because because they can, one, bring tech, technological talent and economies, uh, yeah. growth growth opportunities in their economy to, to their shores. Um, but, but also they could kind of use this hard money, digitally scarce angle to, um, you know, make their currency or their economy, um, you know, harder relative to, to other currencies and, and economies. So I think if that does happen, the opportunity for someone else to kind of, uh, you I know, think, play, I, I think you're absolutely think, uh, right. It's so right. strong, but you know, it would be devastating. I mean, right, right. that would be a black, I would kind of consider that black swan and, you know, I don't know what color is uh, below blue on the rainbow, but uh, you, you might expect that to happen if, if that does. But I don't think any of us uh, uh, have that in our. Uh... Well, I don't think the U.S. is showing any signs of that. I think we've all been watching what's been happening lately, and it's actually quite promising. Like we've been watching some of the hearings and there's good questions being asked. There's curiosity, genuine curiosity. There's people coming to the defense of the crypto community in general within the role, like within the realm of government. Like I know there, there were definitely some multiple like things that we shared in our threads that were like really cool and really promising. So it doesn't look that way. But just to play that out for people that are like that skeptical, if it did happen, ultimately you vote with your feet. And somebody will take advantage of that. There's already countries like Portugal that are like, we love this. We don't care in El Salvador. And so, yeah, maybe you look at a new world order where there is this new natural sort of divide between countries that are pro or against Bitcoin. But I, I don't really see that happening either. Are you guys overly uh, overall optimistic about how this is going to play out in our country? From like a regulatory perspective? Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm like, I'm, I mean, I'm pretty optimistic. I'm definitely optimistic about Bitcoin. I think a lot of people think of regulation as like a bad thing, but regulation for like big institutions, as far as like, you know, non terrible regulation, but just like, you know, the type of regulation you want, uh, th that that's good for, for adoption because these large institutions want predictability. They want to know that there's not going to be some, you know, legal mishap down the road. Right. So that will free up a lot of like large capital pools to come into the space and that will be good. Right. I think on the other hand, like you have the more nuanced topics of like regulation, when we talk about decentralized finance, right, the applications that are being built on, on platforms like Ethereum or Phantom or Polkadot or Avalanche or what it may be, that's where I worry about the, the regulations because I, I think there's like so much opportunity for us to, to build a new financial system that's way more complex than what Bitcoin is, right? Like what people need to understand is that Bitcoin really is this sort of like I hate to keep hammering on the digital gold meme, but it's like kind of the easiest thing to grasp. It is, it is the gold. It's the base layer. It's the settlement layer. It's the, it's the, the building block upon which everything else can be built, right? It's a, it's a foundation for the rest of the space. But alongside that, we are doing this like crazy financial innovation where we can definitely see all of our money just moving 
onto crypto rails, all the banking to move onto crypto rails, all of like so much of our lives to move on there. Um, and it would be better and more efficient and, and, and cheaper and, 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 and more importantly, like more transparent and permissionless. But like we could definitely ruin that opportunity with like the wrong legislation, especially around right. stuff like, like stable coins, like our, our friend Senator Warren likes to, to talk about. So that's, that's like where I'm concerned, not so much the Bitcoin regulation, but the, the, the DeFi. I, I definitely worry about that too, Stephen, because I don't see any reason why any of the powers that be would want to allow that to happen. Like where do they coexist? One, one point on this, you know, like typically like uh, regulation uh, benefits incumbents, particularly large incumbents, you know, like um, bank regulation uh, actually benefits larger banks and not new entrants. The regulation makes it tougher for new entrants to come in. So in the crypto sphere, um, Bitcoin is the is the incumbent. It's owned by a lot of institutions. It's owned by public entities. And so if regulation were to come like those, it would probably affect some of those newcomers or, or like uh, more nascent uh, opportunities in DeFi that Stephen mentioned um, and hurt them. But I think it would actually strengthen Bitcoin's position in, in that case, I think. Yeah, it absolutely would. Um, I, I agree with that. And I think that like the, the, the fear that I ultimately have is that like the integration between the crypto community and the people that we've elected to be representatives of us ultimately in our government doesn't go the way that it should to the best of its ability. Because I see on the one hand, the crypto community raising its hand and saying, our doors open. Like we, we, we've all seen this in crypto Twitter, right? Where like they're raising their hand and they're like, we're available. Do you want to talk? Would you like a fucking seminar? Did you, do you need to understand? What do you need to understand? Because we want to win with you. Like we'd love to win with you and we'd love for you to better understand this so that we can set up a game where we all rise up as a nation. But I don't, I don't think that at times we're seeing that sort of behavior because that's, that's incumbent behavior, not on the Bitcoin perspective you're talking about, Nick, but just like incumbent politician perspective. They don't have the time for that sometimes. And I would love to see more of that. I would love to see more doors open. I would love to see certain senators and certain representatives like actually be willing to have that conversation. I don't know, Stephen, do you do you think that that's important or am I talking about something that's not even that important to, in terms of how this plays out? Yeah, it's it's not honestly something I'm thinking about a lot right now. Like I, when I when I'm thinking about it and I think what most other people are thinking about, right? Is they're just like, "Okay, I need to buy coins." Like what coins do I buy? And like we can kind of like obviously pontificate on the regulatory stuff, but it's a lot of it's sort of like largely beyond my control. Right. And as an investor, I like to focus on things that are within my control. And one of the big things that's within my locus of control is like, what coins do I buy? And I try to buy coins that take but, that but into But to make it specific, Stephen, you know? I think that what the, the individual investor is worried about is that they're not worried about their Tesla stock being taken away or crashing to zero. They're wor well, Tesla's a bad example, but they're worried about their Bitcoin going to zero. I don't think that anybody I talk to is really that worried about Bitcoin going to zero. If I could be slightly contrarian, I think there are large pools of capital that are worried about regulation and the effect it might have on like their, their investment. Um, almost nobody I talk to is like talking about regulation as like a primary concern, uh, to, to be honest. They're, they they kind of just want to know like, uh, 
what number go up, what number go up most, what, what, when, when moon, which, which altcoin, you know, which is like a, a fair thing to do. And if you're not investing like a lot right. of your money, like you shouldn't really care if it's going to go to zero. That should be like a mental I, thing no, anyway, I right? Like, like you're just putting a couple there. points in, right? You're doing the 1%, 2% trade. You're making like a, a high risk bet with the, you know, the idea. And the, the idea that's going to go to zero for, because of regulation in the long run is just like silly anyway. I don't think it's like worth concerning about because if it does, then the whole, the whole experiment didn't work, right? To say that, like, yeah. you believe in Bitcoin, but you also believe it could be regulated to zero is to say that you don't really understand Bitcoin or you don't really believe in Bitcoin. So when I go through this whole circular logic, I'm just like, that's not something I have to worry about. Because in the long run, I believe, ergo, this will work. And I just, and if it doesn't, then it, I was wrong to, to begin with. It's not like a, It's not like there's a scenario where Bitcoin is exactly what everybody thinks it is. But governments well, could stop it, you know. Let me let me hit it with one one more angle <laughs> to to Mr. CFA. Uh, it's not that it that they're worried about the regulation. I think that most people, especially in your world, just are like, "This is a scam. This is a Ponzi." Okay, I, I was ready to be called upon, and I I think like I was going <laughs> in a different direction, but like I'll give you my take from a, a trash hit buy both. Hit mindset. Hit the other one too. Yeah, the yeah. TradFi mindset, I think, is, is more, more thinking like uh, uncertainty, typically they equate to risk. So like uh, we don't know what the regulations are. So, you know, we're going to bucket that all as like this risk that we don't understand. And, and I think like if you, if you look at the markets today, we don't know what the Fed's going to do tomorrow, what they're going to do the rates. So like the stock market has corrected dramatically on mostly uncertainty, not on actual news or moves. It's mostly this uncertainty move. So I think like uh, regulation could be an upside catalyst, kind of like what Steven said, because it would remove uncertainty from that sort of like risk sphere uh, and, and probably not in a way that just like eliminates Bitcoin, like if we're being completely honest about it. That's fair. I, I I appreciate that. I like that. Let's let's like uh, try to summarize all, 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 <laughs> some of this to the best of our ability. So we're buying. Um, we we should just say what we're doing. One of my gripes, uh, what's really like like grinding my gears, if you will, is the fact that and this hits at like the whole state of traditional finance. I literally can't sell my traditional assets fast enough and get the cash to get them into my bank account to literally buy the stip. Like, I don't know if you guys are experiencing that, but I'm currently experiencing that. But the process of selling an index fund or a stock, getting that cash and then getting into Coinbase and then getting it into like MetaMask or whatever it is that I want to do is like absurd. It's absurd. And that's Bitcoin and, 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 and crypto solves solves all of that, first of all. I, I, so I don't have any money in my bank account, so I don't really have that problem. <laughs> you are so deep in the in the DeFi well, sphere. Well, by the way, um, let, let, but let's, I love let's, that. Let's, let's spice it up. Let's do like a hypothetical. So let, let's say it's Please. like two months from now and Bitcoin does the nuke thing. It nukes, it just is one of those like super death candles. It goes from like 28K to like 12K and everybody just like can't believe for the ninth time that it went that low. And then it just sort of like springs up and then everybody's kind of like, oh my God, that was it. It's over. Like it's it's up only from here. 
what are you what are you going to buy? Like, are you are you buying Bitcoin or are you buying something else? What's the first coin you go to? Wool. Wool. No, that's a, that's a good question. That's a good question because <laughs> in that scenario that Stephen just played out, also other assets are demolished as well. You know, like right. in that scenario, S&P's crushed, NASDAQ crushed, everything's down. Um, I would be personally very comfortable, be cozy buying Bitcoin down at those levels. So comfortable. What are you buying, Nick? Nick? What are you buying, Nick? Same. I mean, like, it's it's the same point we are now, but just cheaper. And right. I right. think, you know, if you know, the good thing is that Bitcoin's got a, a ton of history, you know, in this. And you mentioned the 200 week moving average. So if we do nuke down to that, it is historically provided support. And if it goes below that to zero, well, then, like I said, you know, you just the whole experiment's done. So if we assume the whole experiment's not done, then historically, it's even better buying opportunity and it may present an opportunity to actually move assets like like armand was mentioning from other asset classes into bitcoin but i think um you know especially for for the person listening you know in that scenario bitcoin is probably the best risk reward of this whole asset class you know when you look at like other shit coins or even eth you know um it, it definitely has uh you know, a, a lower risk reward ratio, I think, than than Bitcoin, and so, yeah, buying Bitcoin all day in that scenario. All right, I'm going to give you a I'm going to give you a different take on this. You know what the worst coin, in my opinion, to buy is when you have like a super nuke. It's Bitcoin. When I like to buy Bitcoin, normally is times like this where you look at it and it's low, right? And it's it's undeniably low, but you also know it could go way lower, right? Because when I'm in that like uncertain middle ground, I like to give myself optionality, right? So if if it nukes lower, well, I hold Bitcoin. So Bitcoin's going to nuke the least of all the other coins. I then, if I want to get really spicy, can actually sell my Bitcoin and buy something that's like way more of a shit coin now that I know everything's been completely annihilated. Because things, when things go back up from there, those alts are going to way outperform Bitcoin, right? So Bitcoin in these kind of like nether regions is like kind of like my favorite buy because I know that no matter what happens, I will be all right in the long run because I'm holding something that I like truly believe in. And I have the optionality to just flip it into like a, a higher beta, like altcoin play if we like super nuke. Um, as for what I'm buying, like I've, I, I have I have one coin that I've, I've been eyeballing. I mean, I've, I've owned it for a while and it's been very, very, very good to me. Um, and whenever people like lately have been asking me for like a cheap, hot alt recommendation, this is the, there's the one I've mostly been giving. I bet you get asked that like, a lot. Steven. All the time, all the time. Um, like, Steven, Lord. Over, yeah. Like over the, buy? over the, you know, fall, summer, I got asked and like, I, I, yeah, I like avalanche was a popular one, but I don't, I don't really like avalanche as much anymore because there's a lot of token unlocks this year. So this can be a lot of selling pressure, but, um, and again, like most of my portfolio is like the vast majority of it is like Bitcoin and Ethereum. But I think it's totally fine to have this like 5, 10, 20 percent, if you want to be really spicy, that tries to go after like the long tail of crypto, like get those like super massive gains. Um, what I am going to what I am going to buy if everything nukes is are you guys familiar with Phantom? Mm-hmm. Ph- Phantom, oddly enough, is probably like the best performing crypto for the last like 
month or so, the ecosystem's like absolutely on fire. And uh, that, that coin tends to nuke super, super, super hard, but like rebound, like also really, 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 really hard. Um, I really like, that's like my favorite ecosystem, like for somebody who wants to step outside of Ethereum, put like a little bit of their portfolio in like the, the non dogmatic Ethereum trade. Uh, you know, it's probably like four or five, six, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's like a 7 billion market cap now, but it's a coin that doesn't have like a huge supply that's in the hands of a bunch of VCs who are going to dump on you. Uh, the communities are good. The projects are interesting. It's got like really good organic growth. It's got this community that's been through the depths of destruction in the 2018 market already. So it's got a kind of a lot of hardened mm-hmm. veterans and, and, and holders. So that's kind of, that, that's my, uh, I, I think that's going to be my uh, YOLO coin when we, when we super nuke. Not, not financial yeah, advice. Not financial advice. When we, yeah, I mean, if if you would have tried to do that, like looking at the two seven two thousand seventeen, like what was in the top twenty in coin market cap, you know, ranked by by market cap. Um, I think if you're not like a knowledgeable investor or full time trader like Stephen is, you know, picking that one that has the higher beta at that super nuke level is is pretty tough to do. Very, very sure tough. And it all does. So <laughs> yeah, I think. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe just call Steven. Everyone, yeah, yeah just, everyone yeah. just. I'll put his number in the description below. Yeah, please. Okay. Please send all your hate mail so... here when Phantom goes to four cents. <laughs> oh, my God. Perfect. I will tell yeah. you. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that was. That's a very important uh, disclaimer, Nick. There are lots because... of projects that yeah. do not exist that were yeah. in that top 50. They do not exist yeah. anymore. So just for now. Maybe buy some, get in the game in general. I think that was as good a summary as we're ever going to have. And we're going to finish with what I promised, which is the alfalfa that Steven is bringing today. Steven, what's the alfalfa? We don't even know about this. This is news to us. Uh, yes. So a lot of people aren't talking about this yet, but uh, SpaceX is going to launch an NFT. And we all know that Elon has oh, a, my word. a penchant to uh, pump his bags. To pump? On Twitter, we saw what happened to to Dogecoin. So um, this is something that was just brought to my attention today by a a friend of mine. Thank you. Thank you, Carter. You are truly an NFT god. Um, But you can actually get on the whitelist for this project so that you can mint the NFT Mm -hmm. when it comes out uh, by buying one of the artist's current projects. Uh, His name is, uh, I think it's Rafiq. Anadol, I totally butchered that, I'm sure, at Rafiq Anadol on Twitter. Um, I think that the cheapest project you can buy, you know, for the money to get the might, the, the, the whitelist, it's a, it's a collection called Feral File on OpenSea, uh, and it's the unsupervised collection. So Feral File, unsupervised. You can pick these up, I think, still for like 0.9 ETH. Get you a whitelist, and I think wow, you can actually I, go I to the website and buy it there directly and save like twenty or thirty percent. Armand is literally buying as we speak. Wow. He's forgot Mostly how to I'm, ask questions. I, know. I actually, I actually <laughs> haven't bought this yet, so I need to, I need to, uh, I need to hit this up before all you, all you guys front run me. Um, Wait a second, this is on OpenSea. You can buy it on OpenSea. You can also buy it directly on the the, the website. Yeah, I see the site. All right, let me try to explain like a couple pieces of this so okay for someone who hasn't bought nfts before wow so basically after you've bought your your crypto and well specifically your ethereum because that is the native currency of like 95 percent 
of the NFT space, you load up your browser extension on your, like literally on your, on your browser, on your Google Chrome called MetaMask. You transfer from Coinbase to MetaMask, your Ethereum, right? You move it from the Coinbase to the MetaMask. And then you log into this website called OpenSea, which is a eBay for NFTs, okay? I think most people know this, but I think it was important to mention. Once you're here, what Steven mentioned is that there's a whitelist. So when new projects come out, typically when they come out, there's anywhere, there's any number of the item, right? These are non-fungible items. It means each one is unique to the blockchain and you can prove your ownership. But you can have a thousand NFTs in a collection. You can have three or you can have 25,000. And so I don't know how many this collection has, but typically when they mint, which is when they're created, a certain amount are set aside for certain people. Every project, it's up to them how they approach this. It's up to the owner. It's up to the creator, right? And so most projects have what's called a whitelist. And within that whitelist, they designate people either automatically, like say they say this guy says, if you own a CryptoPunk, you automatically get the whitelist to my project, which then allows them to mint it before anybody else does. And it goes live into the eBay marketplace, which is called OpenSea. Now, in most cases, you can qualify for the whitelist by doing a, a few actions, by joining the Discord, by participating in the community, you get access to the whitelist, which if you have the time, is really worth it and is a strategy in and of itself for flipping NFTs. Because if you know a project is going to be hot, you can get in on the whitelist, you can mint it for like 0.05 ETH, and it varies from project to project. And typically, if you know that that fucking marketing is coming from like an Elon, that's probably something that's going to rip within the first few days after going live on the marketplace to everyone else who wasn't on the whitelist. So I think that's important because probably some people don't know that. So actually, in this case, I'm going to do that. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm going to do... I'm going to I'm going to qualify for the whitelist for this because if if Tesla is actually excuse me SpaceX is actually doing an NFT like we got to do that. So we well, need to buy the feral even, file. Yeah, none of us are even in on this. So you're actually getting in. Mm-hmm. These uh, these uh, At the same time we are. Unsupervised uh, data universe things are pretty cool actually. Did I miss anything by the way there that was important cuz I really want people to actually take this one. And if they want to get an NFT, this could be the one they get. Like, that's basically what they need to do, right? You need to buy the cheapest NFT that this artist already owns, you're saying, and then that will qualify you. And then what happens is like, when the SpaceX NFT comes out, or when the mint is happening, the blockchain will take a snapshot, essentially, automatically of wallets that own that other NFT, which is the one you need to buy, and you'll qualify. And then when it's time to mint, you'll be in that pre that pre launch list, right? Yeah. Look, if people Anything are confused, as like a, my general kind of mo when I'm fumbling through the weeds of DeFi, trying to figure out what the heck is going on, is I just hop on Twitter, I just search for some buzzwords I heard. Eventually, I find a thread, somebody talking about it. Eventually, that thread usually leads me to a Discord server, and then in that Discord server, I usually find my way to like 
ask a question like, what is this? How do I do this? Or there's like an FAQ yeah. on the side there. Um, that's like a good mode to get in for people who are like kind of NFT alpha hunting or doing any sort of like alpha hunting on like the, the fringes of uh, yeah, DeFi or crypto there. Yeah. And just on this, in this project, I was reading while you guys were, were chatting it, this artist is particularly good at taking data and visualizing it in artistic form. So it looks like they're going to utilize data from that inspiration four mission, which had, um, the first all civilian space flight. And I think he's going to basically use that data to create some kind of visual artistic representation of it. And that may be the NFT. And it looks like they're going to proceeds are going wow. to benefit, uh, wow. St. Jude hospital. Yeah, I think Dataland.art is the project website, actually. I think this is it. Has this been widely publicized? This is pretty cool. Like, where did your buddy find this? Like, just Twitter? Or what? He's just very very well-connected, and he spends a lot of time grinding. And this this is 71 days away still, so I think that people in the NFT space are very, like, ADD- and it's hard for them yeah. to get hyped up very far that's, in advance for things. That's you years. Know? We're, we're all that's familiar why. with that. So. All right. Well, that that to me, that's a hell of an alfalfa drop. Thank you, Stephen. Yeah. Thanks, Stephen. That could be that could be big. Um, this was great, guys. I felt really great about this. This was a fun structure with a t- fuck ton of value, and we still got what we love, which is to learn from each other. So, yeah. Thank you. That's a wrap. Thanks for leading us, coach. <laughs> no, this is fun. I love this stuff. All right, guys. That's a wrap. See you next week on Tuesdays. Excuse me, Thursdays. I don't even know yet. Thursdays. See you next Thursday. Later. All right, you little DGens. That's it for today. I hope you enjoyed. Head to alfalfapod.com for all of our links and socials. And if you want some real alpha, head to collectiveshift.io and join thousands of members getting the latest insights and alerts from a team of expert research analysts all there to help you create more wealth and freedom through crypto. And don't forget to use our discount code alfalfa for 50% off your first month. Until next time, see you then. Peace.